to The Sound of Design. With Mark. And Dan. And thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. Uh, I am very excited because we get to talk all about subwoofers. <laughs> Subwoofers. Woof. Subwoof. Woofs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's an audio quest joke for those of yep. you who don't know. <laughs> yeah, I keep forgetting. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. Uh, it's one of the <laughs> parts of the system that I think uh, most people have had so much bad information that for so long, it's like, is there a more misunderstood part of uh, of a system and when I say this, it's not actually by the average consumer. It's not actually by the everyday person. Most people understand what a subwoofer is, and they understand the the bass and the sound, and they're 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 down with it. But technical guys, for some reason, it's like they go off on these weird tangents, and you're going, "Man, like I don't." So anyway, I I, I think today's going to be a lot of fun, and we may even ruffle some feathers, which I think would be very good. So we might. We'll I see. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's just uh, let's jump right into it. And we're going to talk just real basically about uh, the difference between a subwoofer and uh, the rest of the speakers uh, that you would see. And so, Mark, maybe just tell us a little bit about subs, you know, on a high level, and we'll go from there. Sure. So a subwoofer is the speaker that most people think as the really loud, boomy, maybe I don't need this speaker. Um, and uh, we're here to tell you that, yes, it can be loud. Yes, it might even be boomy, but you do need it. Uh, it is the speaker that plays back your lower frequencies. So when you're listening to music um, or watching movies, that's where you're going to get a lot of those low-end frequencies. Um, you can, a lot of folks think that, oh man, I, I, like I said, I don't need this. Um, but in a lot of cases, again, like Dan said at the beginning, they're a little misinformed. Um, I don't, I don't want to go too far into it yet, but really, I guess, yeah, it's going to play your low frequencies, right? Yep. All about that bass. <laughs> yep. Yep. All about yep. the bass. All uh, about that bass. I, I think it's probably best to maybe frame or put in context a little bit uh this whole concept is about of sound is, uh, anyway is about changes in air pressure so when you think about a projector system and we've talked about this before right you've got a screen and you've got a projector and you got to take the light in the room into consideration uh this is the same kind of an idea just applied specifically to bass frequencies the room and the pressurization of that room really is a big part of how you're going to think about the base and how you're going to think about the system in general. Um, and it's true that there's a lot of folks who will say, you know, that I don't need or don't want this speaker because I don't like it when it's real boomy. And the reason for this, I think intuitively should make sense. Well, they've experienced it incorrectly because there's too much pressure, which in turn is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> nobody sure. wants to be un nobody wants to be uncomfortable. So if you do it correctly, it's not going to overpower. It's not going to you know overpressurize unless you that's what you're into. And base heads, I mean, listen, 
I love you, and that's great. Yep. Uh, but that's not most. Okay, so uh, using those guys as the exception, most people just want to have what we would call a full range sound. And that just means you can hear from the lowest frequencies, right? 20 hertz, 30 hertz, 35 hertz, and all the way up to, right, that 17, 18, 20,000, depending on what it is that uh, your ears will actually pick up on. So for sure. And even the stuff beyond it. So, yeah. Uh, and, all right. and, and I was going to add, like, we've all been to that house party or ridden in a car with someone and they're they've got the sub or the bass turned all the way up and it's literally rattling your your brain inside your skull like you know that's cool and all but like you were saying i think it, it that that's an incorrect incorrect way for the average consumer to listen to bass yeah and, and again uh i think it's really important that we kind of go through why that is and not just say, well, that's not cool, man, or that's uncomfortable or, but I think we're going to kind of deep dive that. So there's yeah. two categories, right. That we will think of for subwoofers uh, specifically when um, that's active and passive. So could you maybe walk us down that road a little bit, Mark? And, sure. Let's, uh, let's, let's take a, let's take a walk. Um, <laughs> so an active, an active subwoofer is, one that has an amplifier already built in. And by and large, that is the subwoofer that in a home audio environment that most people have had experience with or will experience. Um, so there's a a low voltage, essentially what you would consider an RCA cable, a single RCA cable that's connected from your preamp or receiver. It goes out to this and, and a connection on the subwoofer, typically labeled LFE. And then that goes into the amplifier inside of the box, which then powers that one speaker or multiple speakers, depending on what's in that subwoofer enclosure. Um, passive is essentially a, a just like a, a any other passive speaker that you would have a bookshelf speaker, an in wall speaker, but typically has larger drivers, different crossovers. Um, and, uh, they're, they're designed to be powered by a, an outboard amplifier. Um, something that's typically quite a bit more power than what you would get inside of an active subwoofer. I know there are a couple out there that do a lot of power, but, you know, typically like most subwoofer amps that we sell are going to start, uh, at, you know, close to 800 to a thousand Watts. Uh, so you can move a lot more air with an in-wall subwoofer or a passive subwoofer, I should say. A lot of them are in-wall um, than you typically can with most active subwoofers. Yeah, and I think the word typical is going to be key, right? So as with all things, there's huge levels of uh, performance variation that's out there. And so uh, when you're talking about the world of, sub of subwoofers, uh, there is no one-size-fits-all kind of an approach, uh, it is really custom. You want to think through your room. You want to think through where it's going to be placed. And there are some cases where you have really a good design and a good aesthetic, a really, you know, clean lines and things like that. And putting a big box, you know, over in a corner just looks terrible, 
right? It might be a, a white walls or something along those lines and or, you know, a cream or something like that. So the colors don't quite make sense and so on and so forth. Or conversely, it might be a dedicated theater and those speakers look fantastic sitting out. And so you can't say that it's this or that it really does need to be. Well, let's take a look at the room and then let's figure out kind of what the design is. Um, so sure. and, and I, I love the fact that you mentioned that that you typically get more power when you do an in-wall sub, because I think that's the other thing that maybe 15 or 20 years ago was probably <laughs> the reverse. An in-wall sub probably didn't sound as good. Right. Definitely not better than a traditional box subwoofer. Um, and so I think now we're in a place that's completely different because so many more people have liked the idea. And that's been so much more, especially in, you know, high end residential. That's been the go to is the in wall sub. Right. Because of the aesthetic and because of the look um, and people want the performance. It's like I don't want to compromise. I want the best of everything. <laughs> For sure. So. Um. So let's talk a little bit about um, some of the differences in the size of the drivers themselves, because as we know, subwoofers, typically speaking, are going to be pretty large. Uh, we see this all the time. And if you've ever been to uh, the orchestra, you kind of know this, right, or could imagine an orchestra. You sort of intuitively know, like, violins, a small bodied instrument, it's going to make a small sound. Violas are a little bigger, cellos even bigger, they're going to have a, a fuller sound. And then you get to that big double bass and you're realizing like, oh my goodness, that thing is huge. <laughs> so like what's going on there, um, you know, when it comes to subwoofers, uh, because it looks like there's kind of a similar principle at play. Sure, sure. So um a lot of the subwoofers that we traditionally have have worked with typically start in that six or eight inch range, um, and then they'll kind of go up, typically in two to three inch intervals, all the way up to you know sixteen. And then some of the uh, DIY subs and some of the really out there subs are going to be you know larger than that. Well, why would I have a larger driver? Well it's because I need to be able to get to those lower frequencies and having more surface area on the driver gives it the ability to move more, which means it's capable of playing back those lower frequencies. Uh, so a six inch subwoofer or an eight inch subwoofer, typically we would pair with, uh, you know, a, you may pair it with the floor standing speaker side by side to give it a little bit of extra oomph out of it. Whereas a larger 10, 12, 15, you may utilize one or two or four or however many of them that you need to give you the, to move a lot of air and really give you that, that low energy in your space. If you are the type of person that likes to feel those movies. So to go back to what you were saying, you know, your six inch is going to output base, but it might not be able to get to those, you know, between 20 and 30, it may only drop down to about 28 Hertz. The larger subwoofers can get down to sub 20 hertz in some cases, uh, which even if you're not hearing it, you may be feeling it, if that makes sense. Yep. Absolutely. And so I think it's important to say that bigger is not necessarily better, um, but in a sense it is, right? The, <laughs> I, always, I always tell people it's like speaker manufacturers did not sit in a room and look at each other and say, what's the ugliest, biggest... <laughs> grossest looking box that we can come up with and see if we can get people to buy it. It's like, 
no, there's a physics reason behind this, right? To yep. to to piggyback off what you said, it's physics. Like I need to move the air, and so that larger amount of surface area is going to be able to do it. Violin makers and the the big double bass makers, they knew, right? Hundreds of years ago that you need that that size in order to uh, to get there. Uh, I will say though that that also means that you have to consider your application. So going back to it, if you don't want to feel it, okay, quite honestly, you might be better off with two eights or an eight and a 10 or something along those lines. You may not necessarily want to go to a 15. It may not make sense in the size of the room. So again, don't make a, a, a sweeping statement and say, well, it's got to be this. It's like, well, I mean, that's great for some, but it may not be right for you. And so you just want to check with your designer, check with your integrator. And just make sure you're having that conversation. What type of base experience do we expect uh, from the performance of the system? And they, there's different ways that you can kind of design or put those drivers to use um, and, and really kind of customize the way that they're going to output based upon what it is that you like. So if you want something that's boomier or if you want something that's fuller or you want something that's a little bit tighter, right? Those words are all adjectives to describe how you would kind of experience the bass in the room. Uh, so, Mark, how would you describe some of the prevailing designs um, for how subwoofers are kind of uh, put together so that way we can really understand what some of that next level terms are going to be? Um, sure. So, sure. Yeah. So, um, typically, the size of the subwoofer kind of goes hand in hand with with its its design. And what I mean by design is, we have a couple of different options. So, um, the one that you typically see on a lot of your larger drivers, it's what's called a ported subwoofer. So, what that means is that you'll have the driver inside of the cabinet. And then a cabinet below or around or on the back or however it's designed is going to have one or multiple uh, air flow uh, spaces for air to be moved out of the woofer. So when I say moving air, you could stand in front of some of the bigger ones and literally your pant leg will move as it plays back because the driver because the driver yep. is moving so much. It's pushing that much air out. Um you typically see these in a lot of movie theaters and other things like that because you need to move so much air and pressurize the space. Um, the downside to a ported sub is sometimes it may not be as detailed as the next iteration, which is a sealed box subwoofer. Um, typically smaller cabinet or smaller driver size, maybe a smaller cabinet as well to pair with it. Um, but those sealed cabinet subwoofers, um, Yes, they're moving air, but they're typically going to give you a little bit more detail because they they're not worried about moving so much air through and out through and out of the cabinet. Um, a lot of people would ex would uh, describe that as like a tighter base. Um, and then you have um, isobaric uh, subwoofers, which you know when I first learned about it was like a, we called them kind of like force force canceling subwoofers or something yeah. along those lines. Um, 
And uh, the, the best example that most people could go see today if they walk into any electronic space is the, the Sonos subwoofer. Uh, so you typically have multiple drivers that are either facing each other or facing away from each other that um, the way it's designed cancel out any vibrations in between them. So you kind of get, I, w I would say, the best of both worlds, so to speak. It's going to move quite a bit more air because you have double the surface area. It's going to output a lot more because you have the multiple drivers, but you typically have a smaller cabinet. So you kind of get the best of both worlds there. Yep. Absolutely. And honestly, the first time I listened to a force canceling or an isobaric design, it was kind of like a watershed moment going like, oh, finally, here's a sub that does everything that I wanted to do and yep. really sounds good. And my favorite demo, you brought up the Sonos, so I'll jump on it on the bandwagon yep. for a second. Yep. The demo was you put a nickel, right? on its side and you put it on top of the sub and then you play whatever demo or whatever it is and the nickel just stays completely still. I mean, it's unbelievable. You would think, you know, with all that air and with all that volume and all the power and all the things that it would be rattling all over the place and it just doesn't. It was completely stable and it would sit on its side for the entire demo, three minutes. It wouldn't fall, you know, unless yep. somebody came over and knocked it. Like it was yep. really, really an incredible demo um, yeah. and an incredible testament to that specific design. For sure. For sure. Because the, the other option that we heard, you know, the Sono sub came out and then I know you and I, that, that was kind of our first, probably our first real experience with it. Um, and then we went. You know, when we, we moved to where we are now and we heard the Martin Logan Balance Force 212. Oh, my like, goodness. <laughs> wow. You know, now this thing's a coffee table that sits next to you, essentially. <laughs> um, but it, it's uh, it's an incredible subwoofer and has an even more incredible demo built into it that we still use to this day. It's so much fun. Uh, there's a tone sweep built into it so you can actually isolate specific frequencies and vibrations in the room when you're calibrating it. But essentially, when you hit it, it'll just continuously do that. Yep. And we'll get it to a point where it'll vibrate literally everything in the room. But you can the cabinet itself really isn't isn't vibrating at all. So it's pretty incredible considering how much air that thing is moving. Yeah. And I mean, it's got a ton of power, right? So yep. um more than 1500 watts it's going to be uh you know extremely rigid in terms of the driver material and uh, as a result like there's just no compromise you know and of course it goes back to this concept of you know like design appropriately to your room um if you've got a big open concept right and it's open to you know living room dining room kitchen office and you know you don't have a lot of doors and before you know it you start looking at the design, you're going to say, uh, yeah, like we're not just pressurizing a 200 square foot space. Like we're actually pressurizing a much larger space. It might actually be a thousand square feet or 1500 square feet or something like that. So you put a, a, a sealed sub in that kind of an environment and you may notice it, but you may not at the exact same time. And we had this happen not too long ago. There was uh, a client that did two subs, both of them sealed. And this is exactly the scenario, right? Big open concept, all this kind of stuff. And you could walk around that room and we had it turned all the way up. We had the crossovers on. We did everything we could and you just couldn't hear it. It just got lost and swallowed up in the room for a million different reasons. And 
as soon as we switched the position of one of them, it was like, oh, there's the base. Well, why? Well, because we were getting a reflection off of the back window that hit now finally where it wasn't being canceled out and the wasn't being, you know, the pressurization wasn't being sucked away into this other part of the house. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's like you have to think through a little bit about where that is, where you're ultimately going to put that that speaker and that client ultimately ended up going to a balance force. It was unbelievable. But at the end of the day, that's what's necessary in order to pressurize that big of a space, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, uh, and then the the other one, I know we kind of got carried away on isobaric, but you also have, you know, some in-sealing options, uh, in-wall and in-sealing options um, that are kind of, uh, I would probably describe as kind of a ported sealed hybrid. Um yeah. Uh, and then you don't you don't typically you don't typically see them, you know, utilized in home theater spaces. They're typically more utilized for music distribution throughout the house for better bass uh, transmission around your home. Yeah, and I think it's fair because it depends on the type that you get. So if you just cut your speaker right into drywall, then you think about what type of cabinet or enclosure there is for that speaker and. It's really a stud bay and some drywall, and mm-hmm. that's not really going to, to do a ton there in terms of uh, dealing with that negative energy. Although they are designed for that environment, and there's great engineering that goes into them, so they sound good, even like that. Um, but in the higher-end models, you'll almost always see some variation of a pre-construction back box. So if you're building a home and you know you want to go for this look, then all day, every day, picks something up early during the pre-wire phase, get those enclosures, get those back boxes into your stud bays so that way you have the ability to just pop the speaker in at the very last second and your drywall is done, it's been painted, it's clean, everything's essentially good to go. Um, and those uh, those back boxes make a big difference in terms of the way that they're ultimately going to sound. Um, wasn't there one from uh, uh, Bowers and Wilkins? I think that... Uh, I don't know if it's still an active uh, model or not. That was like an in cabinet too, mm-hmm. if I remember. Yeah, it was a uh, size W three, I think. Yep, that's right. That um, right. Uh, it was a. Uh, I, I think it's still made, but um, I actually got to hear it when I got when I went and visited them years ago. Um, but it was really, it's really designed to be either in a cabinet or in the floor or truss. Uh, of the floor below you. So um, it has uh, a cabinet itself that you typically put inside of a cabinet or like I said, in the floor or something along those lines. And then a vent piece that you could vent into the space. So it would move a lot of air, but you could hide it in a cabinet or typically in the floor, which is the, the way that I've utilized it. So you can have, you know, this vent that comes up through the floor and then get a matching floor vent, just the same that you would use for your HVAC. And the subwoofer has disappeared completely. Um, it just looks like it's an HVAC vent that's in your floor, but it's subwoofer. Uh, it's and it's awesome. a passive. It's a passive sub. Like it, it, it's it needs you know that additional amplification. And um, but it it's uh, impressive. And when it comes to design, that is one that's preferred by a lot of folks because you don't have to see it. Yep. Well, and, you you know, you triggered something in my brain, which is if you put subwoofers outside, doing a passive subwoofer with the amplifier that lives inside is almost always going to be 
the case, right? Because you can't have those electronics exposed to the elements, but you can sure. have a sealed and you can have a phenomenal sub. And so I know Martin Logan makes them, Sonance makes them, um, almost all the outdoor manufacturers, JBL makes them. Um, mm -hmm. They have dedicated subwoofers that are passive. They go out into your landscape and, again, run off that amplifier that lives in the rack or lives uh, mm -hmm. inside the house somewhere. So um, it really uh, can you can put a subwoofer pretty much wherever you want to. <laughs> There's kind of no limits anymore. <laughs> For sure. So, uh, well, uh, let's. Uh, kind of shift gears a little bit. Let's go back to um, active subs, right, where the amplifier is built in. Um, and let's kind of talk a little bit about some of the knobs that are on the back. I've seen um, on a bunch of them, you'll have uh, what's called a crossover. Uh, you'll see typically phase. Sometimes there'll be switches that'll be uh, for placement and things like that. So uh, mm -hmm. let's just ta tackle crossover first. Uh, can you just explain what it is and uh, kind of what its purpose is? And then maybe we can jump off from there. Sure. So the crossover is designed to uh, essentially set what frequencies you want the subwoofer to play back. Um, now, we'll talk about this in the, as far as what the knob is going to do first, but there are some other variables that you need to take into account. So... Um, but what that knob will allow you to do is let's say you have a pair of Kef uh, R11s. Those speakers can get pretty low as far as their frequency response. Uh, so you might set the crossover on your subwoofer to start where those speakers end. Um, so typically you would say, I mean, now those speakers can drop to 40 Hertz, but we'd probably have it at 80 Hertz. And that's typically yep. where most crossovers start anyway on a subwoofer. Um, but let's say I'm the type of person that likes a little bit more of the mid bass coming out of my subwoofer. Uh, I can adjust the knob to go to 120. And that means anything 120 Hertz and below my subwoofer is going to play back. Any frequencies that it receives above 120 Hertz, it is not going to play. Um, and typically those knobs will go up to 220, 240. Um, you typically don't see folks get to those higher, higher frequencies unless they're using in ceiling speakers that are typically lower quality because yeah, yeah. they're not really designed to, to play a lot of bass at all. So you really need the subwoofer to kind of make up for those. Now, that being said, most of the time that knob does not work. <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't work mark so it I, because I can, I can turn it right you can turn it so but it's not actually doing anything <laughs> and the reason being is that in a in a traditional setup with surround sound the av receiver is has already set up the frequencies that are going to the sub and the yep. connection <laughs> that is labeled lfe on the back of the sub that you're utilizing bypasses the crossover built into the sub and is only taking whatever frequencies the receiver is already sending it. So you would actually, if you wanted higher frequencies, go to the receiver and set the frequency a little bit higher there. Yep. And, and this is where I think, you know, you have to really think about 
the position and where you are in line. So if you have a receiver where that's generating the signal, right, off of whatever movie, video game, uh, TV show, whatever it is that you're watching, music that you're listening to, and then it goes out of the receiver into the sub, well, then, of course, whatever the receiver says, the sub has to do. So I think once you sort of think through it for a second, you go, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Let me go into the receiver. Let me go check my my crossovers uh, inside those settings and see where they're set to. And then you can go in and dial in where the sub would be. And sometimes, you know, I've done this a lot of times where you'll uh, quite honestly set the receiver to, um, you know, 80 hertz or something along along those lines and then go back in um, or excuse me. You'll set the re- the receiver to say 120, but then you'll set the crossover again a little bit, not necessarily matching that point, but you might dial it to like say 110 or something along those lines. And if you have two subwoofers, you can do all sorts of really cool things. So certain subwoofers are going to play just certain frequencies and things like that. So, yep, yep. And also, you know, the the other reason the crossover would be utilized and it's typically where we use it the most is when you are utilizing multiple subwoofers and instead of using the low LFE output, you're utilizing a pre output from the AV receiver or processor, which then essentially is ascending, ascending a, a full range signal that you can then adapt to each speaker. Uh, the perfect system which we probably should have mentioned earlier would be to have a subwoofer for every speaker and not a big boomy subwoofer, but something like a smaller six or eight inch sub even that's just going to help that speaker be able to get it, get the most out of the, what you're listening to. I say that speaker, but just kind of help make up for the, what that speaker that you're using is not giving you. Um, But the pre out would allow us to then fully utilize the crossover and on each subwoofer per each speaker and not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but that's, that's the real reason you would utilize that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you called it out because, you know, I think of companies uh, that have built in active subwoofers uh, Mm -hmm. into their tower lineups, like definitive technology. And, you know, there's plenty of folks who have done that over the years. I think Mirage made some, if I remember correctly as well. And, um, I know Martin Logan has some with their electrostatics. They'll have active subwoofers built in as well. And you start mm-hmm. realizing that as the speakers get nicer and nicer, that the necessity for full range, that lowest frequency to the highest frequency, that lowest bass sound to the highest treble sound, that has to be incorporated in some way, shape, or form. And so, of course, it makes sense that every speaker should be able to play back all of the sounds. I, it, it's kind of weird when you think about it for a second that they don't. Um, but if yeah. you were to take a, a book, <laughs> seriously, right? You would say, yeah. well, you designed a speaker and it can't do certain things. It's like, well, we were limited in terms of our physics, right? And what we were able to accomplish. And so bookshelf speakers notoriously, right? Don't have a lot of bass. Uh, satellite speakers, you know, a four inch woofer and a two inch tweeter or one inch tweeter. Sometimes satellites with that, like three and a half I've seen even, mm-hmm. you know, they're just not going to be able to produce those low frequencies. And so you got to find some way, right, to uh, uh, to get the bass out of that channel. So, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So uh, one of the things that uh, I would also mention is uh, phase and some of the other settings um, why would you want to adjust the phase and what are you doing 
when you adjust that. Yeah. Um, phase is typically utilized or is not typically is utilized when you have multiple subwoofers located in the same room. Now, why would I want to do this? So let's say I put two subwoofers on the same wall in front of me or subwoofer in the front left and the rear right. Um, and I start playing my, my movie. What will typically happen if you're in the sweet spot directly, especially directly in the center of them is you're probably not going to hear anything. Why is that? Because they're actually canceling each other out because the wavelengths are hitting at the same, at the same time, allowing them to cancel the sound out. Right. Since we talked about it in, in uh, Mac, when we talked about Macintosh a long time ago, how they actually flip something out of phase to, uh, and then flip the signal back into phase to eliminate the noise. Well, if you're, woofers are in or out of phase together or in phase you you actually will lose the signal to your ear you just won't hear it so by adjusting that knob on the back to typically it goes to 180 you're flipping it out of phase meaning those wavelengths are going to be opposite of each other and they won't be canceling each other out yeah and i think that's kind of like a, a good visual which is like i've got a positive bass frequency in the middle from the front and I've got a negative bass frequency from the sub in the back and they're both at the you know hitting at the exact same physical space right that same moment in time and again that's where that cancellation is 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 occurring it's yep. almost um it's not inevitable but it's so common in a lot of rooms for you to hear this and it doesn't necessarily have to be from a second sub it could just be from a solid uh, back wall or side wall or something along those lines where you've got this perfect reflection, you know, where yep. you've designed a really nice, beautiful room. And so you haven't put up any art. There's nothing in the back. There's no bar. There's no nothing. And so it's just a flat wall. Well, the sub hits it, bounces uh, back on itself. And before you know it, you've lost, um, you know, the base in certain sections of the room. And so you could sit in the middle seat. And maybe you got it set it so that way it sounds great there. But then you sit one foot over the seat right next to you. And you don't hear anything. And you're going like, hey, where'd my pace go? Yep. Yep. <laughs> like, it's really crazy. Right. And, but this is, I think, just due to the fact that that pressurization and those base frequencies are a lot longer. They're taller. They're wider. However you want to think about it, uh, there's more energy to them. And so you just start to notice a lot more. Uh, when things are not right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, because they haven't been set up or dialed in, and I'm glad you brought up the the kind of the description of the room where the subwoofer, you know, frequency bouncing off the wall can uh, can cause those same issues because that actually used to happen in our old showroom, uh, in yep. our premium room. You could you you would I mean we had a hundred $20,000 stereo setup and you couldn't hear the bass. You could not hear the bass from it because the room was built two feet too short and uh, width. So the frequencies were actually canceling each other out. And the only way you could really hear the bass was to either pull the sub way out into the room or go stand in a corner. You stood yep. in a corner and you'd be, I, I mentioned, you know, your brain rattling inside your head. That would ha be happening because we would have to kind of try to overcompensate for 
the 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 bad design of the of the room that we're in. Yeah, a thousand percent. And to this day, I think it's one of those things where it's kind of difficult for you to give a good demo in certain spaces because there are some physical limitations. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to do it. You know, sometimes just a quick, you know, shift of the position of that driver will be enough for you to actually hear what's going on. And that means that you're turning it 90 degrees or, you know, maybe you're turning it 45 degrees or something like that. And you walk around the room and I routinely will tell folks like, okay, hold on, let me dial it in real fast and we'll get it positioned. I'll walk around, I'll find where the sub's hitting and I'm like, all right, come stand over here. <laughs> I know this is weird. We don't have yep. to, we just have to do this for, for the purposes of the demo. When we come into the installation, uh, our guys are going to be able to do this and they'll be able to sit down and we'll calibrate. We'll make sure that it's dialed in for where you sit and make sure that we have good, even coverage. Right. So, um, well, it tell it takes us back to this concept of, of placement. So, uh, is there any rule of thumb that you could, uh, maybe talk about that, uh, would help us in thinking about where to put a sub in a room? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people, um, you know, when we, we go back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, how they think that the subwoofer is ugly. So they want to try to place it wherever they don't have to see it. And if that's really what you want, we need to talk about a different subwoofer with your with your designer or integrator that you're utilizing, um, because that's probably not the best place to put it, which is right in the corner. Um, typically, um, the best place to put a subwoofer is to take a measurement a full measurement of the wall that it's on. So take that and then divide that into thirds or fifths. Thirds being, in my experience, a little bit better, but um, you can do either or. But what that allows you to do is kind of get the proper placement of the subwoofer in the space to where it kind of can breathe off of a wall. Uh, and those wavelengths from a subwoofer are typically a lot larger and take a little bit longer to, to do a full wavelength. So by having them a little bit off the wall, you do allow for for that frequency to fully get a full wavelength and not get uh, improper reflections off the wall or into the room. Yep, absolutely. And it, it, I understand not everybody's going to have the physical space if it's in right. a living room or something right. along those lines. And so this is one of those reasons why going back to it, why you're going to utilize some variation on calibration software. Um, we just did a, a Dirac uh, calibration for a client and it was unbelievable how much more accurate the timing was uh, after we ran that calibration. And we didn't have um, an ideal room even close. I mean, it was a really, really, really problematic space um, in terms of getting accuracy from the speakers and from the, the subwoofer. But when we did that calibration, uh, it was the base management was just night and day different. It was clean. It was tight. And the subwoofer position really honestly didn't move. Um, it was all done mm -hmm. in the software. So it was pretty pretty amazing that uh, we were able to do that without getting the ideal position. So it's not something that necessarily has to be done every time, but it's something that I would highly, highly recommend have, having uh, having just heard it um, so clearly and so starkly. Uh, make sure that you're calibrating that uh, that subwoofer so that way the placement is less of an issue. Agreed. Agreed. So, so uh, let's jump into 
then uh, I think where a lot of people maybe start their thought process, but now we've kind of saved it towards uh, towards the end, I think, for the right reasons, because now that you have kind of a layout of how they work and what they are and those kinds of those kinds of things, I answer this question. How many subwoofers should I get and why? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's going to be it's going to be all dependent on your space, but I would at minimum recommend two for movies. And that's because two subwoofers can do more work than one. Um, even if those two aren't necessarily as good as a one that you could purchase at the same budget amount. Uh, an example I would give is a subwoofer that I've sold, uh, an iteration of a subwoofer I've sold for 15 years, uh, is the Dynamo 800 from yep. Martin Logan. Uh, it's $850 subwoofer. Um, typically would do two of those compared to one Dynamo 1100, which is 11 inch driver, you know, or, you know, not 11 inch. Good Lord. It's a day. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just Dynamo 1100. You get, you've got that bigger cabinet. Um, Dynamo 800 times two means I don't have to make them work as hard in order to fill that space. Whereas the Dynamo 1100, I might have to turn it up to 80 or 90% and ask it to really work to fill my space. Um, if I put the Dynamo 800 in the front and another one in the rear corner, adjust the phase like we discussed earlier, you're going to get better base coverage across that space. And then you can add more, which is where it gets to be a lot of fun. Um, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about having a individual subwoofer per speaker. That is the perfect scenario. How many times have you done that, though, Dan? Uh, I have yet to do that, Mark. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I have yet to do it either. I have done a center channel woofer yep. with two LFEs, but that's that's about as far as you get. And it's because in most cases, we either run out of budget or run out of, you know, aesthetics, aesthetically what we're allowed to or able to do, right? I'll, I'll caveat that with I have done a, a system with um, probably the most we did on a per channel basis is when we use some definitive technology towers and the client had two existing uh, front towers. We added an active sub driven center channel. We had two sides that were towers. We had two rears that were towers. Again, those all had active subwoofers built in. And then we had uh, an L two LFE channels in that space as well. The only speakers that didn't have subs were the in-ceiling ones that we used for uh, the Atmos channels. And so I can't say that we had every single speaker, <laughs> but we had most of them. And it's still to this day, one of the best sounding rooms uh, that I've ever heard. I mean, and it wasn't the most expensive, by the way. It had nothing. It was it was nothing to do with the price. It wasn't nothing. Don't don't hear don't hear that wrong. Um, mm -hmm. But we did not blow the budget out in that room. We we were actually very conservative, all things considered. And sure. it was awesome. <laughs> sure. Sure. And and just to correct myself, because sometimes my brain is so full of knowledge that I just speak out of turn. <laughs> that subwoofer is a twelve inch subwoofer, not an eleven. 
And I apologize okay. for anyone, any of my Martin Logan friends who are listening to this. I promise I still love your products. Uh, but really, that's a t- the 800 or 210s, the 1100s to yeah. 12. The 210s yeah. are going to do more or do better work better than, one, than 112. That's the yeah. easiest way to explain it. Yeah, and, and I think that concept goes back to headroom, right? So uh, yep. it's kind of this intuitive principle, it's, and it's true across the board for stereo and, quite honestly, for any tool. Um, and, you know, you could apply this to cars. You could apply this to your computer. You could apply this to anything. If I ask something to work at its full capacity, it's going to break down and burn out. And I think yep. we all kind of know that that's true for us as human beings. So uh, yep. I don't understand why looking at this tool, the subwoofer concept, it would be any different. If I can get two working, that's going to be a lot more efficient than one maxed out. And so that's really the way you have to to think about it. Um, so I agree with you a thousand percent. What if I was doing a, a stereo um, and uh, I wanted to just listen to music? Uh, I want to recreate a recording studio style environment. I'm at, you know, maybe kind of listening room or something along those lines. How many subs uh, would you put in that scenario and how would that change? You know, it's, it's going to be dependent again on the space. Um, but typically I would do one, one to two sealed subwoofers because with music, I'm typically looking for that tighter base compared to trying to move a lot of air. Unless you're the type of person that likes a little bit more boomy bass, depending on the music that you're listening to. If I'm listening to, um, you know, some classical music and I really want to get the, the tightness of each of those bass drum hits, um, but also be able to get all the correct frequency playback from all of the instrumentation across the orchestra. You know, I don't want big boomy. I just want something that I can feel when it's there, but is also giving me the good sounds of the cellos and the saxophones and the violins and all the other things that I'd be listening to. Yep, absolutely. And I will say too, that in the most uh, amazing systems and one of the ones that we heard uh, not too long ago uh, featured uh, six subwoofers for a stereo system um, was one of uh, the most eye-opening uh, listening experiences I've had in a long time um, because they were showing uh, during this demonstration the ability to produce height um, in terms of the sound stage uh, that was that was possible. And so I really do think um, that we've been putting subwoofers, quite frankly, on the floor and in the corners for too long. And it's probably time for us to move them into the room and probably, quite frankly, raise them up. Uh, because when I heard the uh, the subwoofers on the highest level being played, the stage was massive. And it, I mean, it makes sense if you go to a concert, you go someplace else, you know, you're going to you're going to see that kind of happening naturally. Um, but to see that in, in in an enclosed space and in a critical listening environment just absolutely opened up the entire system. And as they went through that demo, they turned off the top layer and then the mid layer, and you could kind of feel the whole room just kind of drop. Like the whole thing just came right down. Still sounded very clean, still sounded clear. We still heard all the right notes, but our sense of stereo image was kind of lost. And so, you know, when you think about the best way, again, going back to it, in a surround sound room, I want a sub for every channel. You know, I also think in a, 
stereo environment that you should have subs in proportion to the size or height of the sound that you're trying to reproduce as well. And that's going to enjoy, give you the ability to enjoy that experience even more because now I'm getting not just full range, but I'm also getting an accurate image, right? Um, yeah. So it's, it, it, it really does. Uh, if you can figure out a way to get a demo of it, unbelievably impactful, unbelievably impactful. Yeah, man. Those, those were uh rel number 32s, right? They were. I want to say they were. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 32s. Yeah. Well, yeah. Very, very good subs. Yes. <laughs> um, Understatement of the year. Uh, very I, good it, subs. But, but that, you know, <laughs> just to, to plug rel there for a second, it's something that, that they do across most of their model lineup. So you don't have to buy a $10,000 a piece subwoofer like we got to listen to. Uh, right. You could drop down to, uh, you know, a thousand fifteen hundred dollars per speak per subwoofer, and, and double them. and double or triple stack them. Um, even their home theater series and the Predator, uh, the HT fifteen ten Predator, that thing, uh, triple stack will blow your mind. And six grand for three. Yep. If you do, obviously, if you do a pair of stacks, you're gonna you're at twelve grand, but you know, um, it's something that I, I literally last week just had a client that said, I want, you know, the most awesome subwoofer experience I can get. And I'm like, well, cool. Um, six grand, we need to do three of these. They're so like, oh, my budget's two. Okay, well, let's start with one. And then yep. in a few months, you come back and we can add another one. And then we can add another one on top of that. And it allows you to grow with your system. Yep. And I, and I, I love the fact you mentioned it that way because... This is one of those kind of unsung uh, concepts, which is that upgrade over time, right? And we've talked about the upgrades uh, kind of strategies in the past, but that second sub or a third sub really is one of those things that allows you to bring your system back to life. If you've bought something and you put in a nice system, you know, three or four years ago and you're starting to get the itch a little bit, you know, how can I upgrade? What's a spot that I could, you know, really invest some, some money into and not compromise what I already have, right? but build on top of that and really take it to the next level. Well, the subwoofers are a phenomenal place, quite honestly, to invest um, because you, you never lose on their performance. It's not like you get diminishing returns. Every time you add one, you're adding a lot more power, right? And you're adding uh, a lot more uh, sense of uh, life and space and dimensionality that was just not there before because the system wasn't capable of reproducing it. Uh, so if you want that impact, I mean, it's a great way to upgrade a system. Great way to upgrade a system. So. All right. Um, what else should we uh, touch on for subs, Mark? Let's make sure we mm. didn't miss anything. Um, I mean, you. I think the one thing that, that we've kind of tried to talk about here is you definitely need it. You know, it's... Yep. Uh, it, whether you, no matter no matter what experience you're looking for, even the folks that do say, "Oh, I don't need that. I don't like the big bang boom, boomy sounds," they're gonna miss it. And it's it's something that if you find the right subwoofer and the right placement, and you work with someone who is knowledgeable around this, we can get you the right performance and the right aesthetic for you, so you're not missing out on, you know what you're paying for, which is usually to get, you know, some sort of cinematic or great stereo experience. 
Um, and without the subwoofer, you're just not getting it. Yeah. Well, all right. I, and listen, I agree with you a thousand percent, obviously. Um, so what is your favorite uh, one or two? If you've got more than that, I'm sure you do. But uh, sub demos, uh, <laughs> what do you use uh, when you're trying to show off what a subwoofer can do? Um, uh, that's it. I'm crazy by that's Sophie it, Tucker. Yep. Uh, that's not the actual name of the song, but that's the radio version of the song. That you're allowed um, to listen to and phrase. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, just to try to keep this as PG as possible. Um, the other one was it, uh, was it Bass Nectar? Was that the one? I'm trying to think of the name of the oh, artist. Yeah. It's just, it's Un- just, uh, oh, yep. yeah. Hold on. I'll find it uh, real yep. quick. Um, let me see if I can find that. Oh my goodness! I had it saved for that. Yeah, it's reason. on unlimited, but it's uh, I, I've got it here. Reaching out, reaching out, reaching out. That was it. Yep. yep. Very good. A yep. great one. An That's absolute a, great one. Uh, another Dan that showed us that a long time ago, or at least yes. played that for me the first time. Um, good dude. I need to reach yep. out to him. Yep. If you're listening, <laughs> what's up, man? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um. Well, those are those are two big boomy ones. Um. Um, 1812 Overture is one of my favorite ones for uh, an orchestral demo. If we're talking about, um, tight bass, you know, the big, the big bass drum hits and the, uh, you know, kind of climax of that, of that, uh, orchestration. Yeah. I mean, there's something so satisfying too, when you hear a great orchestral work played, you know, at a quite honestly, at a loud volume. I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, we have this impression of orchestral pieces that, uh, you know, it's quiet and it's soft and it's delicate. And it's like, you know, when you get into it, um, you know, you listen to uh, some of the great composers and they've got fireworks all over the place. (laughs) And uh, you need a system that's capable of reproducing uh, everything that's actually going on for you to get the full effect of, of what you're listening to. So. For sure. And the dynamic, I mean, the dynamic range is, is unmatched. I would say, I mean, yeah. you can bring in, you can bring up some of the great vocalists that are out there. Um, and, and while those are great, there's nothing in my opinion that matches the dynamic range of, of a well-recorded orchestra. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to throw out one just as an honorable mention too, which is uh sure. dilemma by Lewis uh, and the Yakuza. Um, and, uh, they're, uh, based out of the, uh, France and they do, uh, hip hop and, um, when their sub hits, uh, hit, they are truly incredible. And I have no idea if their, uh, language is clean cause I don't speak French. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't speak French, you're probably safe. Uh, so it's a really, really good one. Uh, all right. Well, awesome, man. Awesome. 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 Uh, I just want to say uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to uh, The Sound of Design. With Mark. And Dan, please like, comment, and subscribe, share with your friends. And uh, we will see you guys on the next episode. See ya.